Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. So here we are today, the first Sunday of the new year in the first month of the new year of 2018. And one way we always know when a new year begins is by the number of psychics, fortune tellers who appear in public over the airways. They stand ready with their <coughs> predictions for the future, for you, for me, for the city, the nation, and the world. Now, why these psychics are so prominent at the beginning of each year and you see them on television and you hear them and you read in the newspapers and magazines and so forth, is the fact that most of us really would like to know what the future holds for us in 2018. But the simple fact is we really cannot see the future. While we front forward, meaning we're constructed to look forward, our sight and vision is actually backwards. Now what I mean by that is that we only know where we've been we can't see where we're going. You only know where you're going when you get there. But you do know where you've been. So our sight and vision are behind us. It's as if we were constructed incorrectly. We are pointed forward in the forward direction, but our sight is behind us. And as I said, we can't see where we're going until we get there. In other words, you, can't, you can say, well, I'm going to Washington, but you can't see Washington until you actually get there. The truth is, no matter what we think or plan, we only know where we are when we actually get there. Again, it looks as if we were constructed incorrectly. Now, in Greek mythology, they solved the problem by constructing the two brothers, and you know the names, Prometheus and Epimetheus. You may not have heard of Epimetheus, but everybody knows Prometheus, who's holding up uh, the world. These are the giant brothers who stood back to back, providing sight in both directions the past, and the future. Epimetheus represented hindsight, or looking backward, and literally means after thinker. Prometheus represented foresight, or looking forward, and literally means forethinker. Now, the Romans came up with one even better than that, and I think Ian may have uh, pictures. They came up with their mythological god, Janus, J-A-N-U-S, who had two faces. Can you see the two faces there? One in front and one in the back, giving sight both ways at the same time. Now Janus was a guardian of gates, of portals, and a patron of beginnings and endings, like the end of last year, the beginning of the new year. It is from Janus that we get the name January. Janus, J-A-N-U-S, and then January, which is a month that signals the end of one year and the beginning of another. Hence, we have the two faces of January. And I can tell you today, with the temperature below zero, <laughs> these two faces are frozen. <laughs> so they may not be able to see anything in either direction. Now, let's see what we can learn from the name Janus. <clears throat> and excuse this cough. I'm Recovering from something, I'm recovered from something. Yeah. 
that tried to get me. I came in from Los Angeles a few days ago, 80 degree weather. And back here, it was like 12 below. And today, with the wind chill factor, it's about five below. This is cold. This is cold weather. So let's see what we can learn from the name Janus. Janus was a god of motion and movement who oversaw all transitions from past to future, from one condition to another, of one vision to another, of change from youth to adult. In a way, you could say that Janus symbolizes the truth of that little statement from the Bible that we have been using lately that says, it has come to pass. We know that conditions, situations, challenges, and age, and I can tell you about age, don't come to stay, they come to pass. For example, if age didn't come to pass, we might all choose to remain or stay at 26, 32, or where I am, 39. <laughs> but we can't. At the end of last year, we were all one year older, whether we wanted to be or not. The statement, and it came to pass, symbolizes motion and that we do not live in a static or standstill world. It's always moving. Now, echoing this point is something that comes, you know, that's everything comes to pass. The Greek philosopher Heraclitus, who lived 500 years before Christ, said that everything is in a state of flux and the only constant is change. In other words, the only thing that you can count on, the only thing that you know for sure is change. So looking at this month of January, we find it to be the most significant period of change because it stands at the end of one year and the beginning of a new year. January is known as the month of reflection. Why? Because that's a month that we recap or re review the past year. And that's the good things and the bad things. And unfortunately, we tend to hang on more to the bad things, our memory of them at least. And also reflection in the sense of it's the period of resolutions, which express the hopes and dreams for the new year. And I'm sure that a lot of you have made your resolutions, which include, among other things, losing weight, to stop procrastinating. <laughs> and I can go on and on and on. Uh, but as a God of transitions, Janus tells us that we have to let go of the past. And I'm going to spend some time on that uh, today because that's the most difficult thing for people to do. And part of it is the fact that you're letting go of what's familiar to you. The past is what's familiar. The future is unknown. So you cling to what you, you know. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today because I want us to get off to a good start this year. And one good way to get off to a good start is letting all the old negative baggage from 2017, let it go. Don't drag it into the new year and so forth. So too many of us spend more time dwelling on the past in turn, in, instead of focusing on where we are right now and projecting towards the future. And we especially dwell on those events that were unpleasant and challenging and upsetting. We had some good times and we dwell on those as well, but just like the bad times, the good times also came to pass. They didn't come to stay. You can't say, well, you know, I had a great time on my birthday last year. I got all kinds of gifts, all kinds of money, and all kinds of well wishes, and I wish this day could last forever. Can't. Gone in 24 hours. So we hold on to the experience of those up 
goal-setting challenges with a repetitive question of why. Now, I see this when people come in for counseling. The question that's on the mind of everybody when they're coming in to discuss a challenge or a problem or difficulty with a relative or uh, a son or daughter or with another member of the church and so forth, the question is why? And the why covers the full gambit. Why did this happen? Who did it? Why did they do it? What did I do to deserve it? This could, this could be the reaction, by the way, to having lost a loved one, to loss of a friend, to loss of a job. It could be something uh, that somebody said to you that upset you. And it could have been a serious health challenge that befell you or some serious financial setback. It could have been a downsizing on the job where you actually not just was downsized, you were outsized, you were eliminated from the payroll. But the question is always why? Now, the better response to the question, I decide, I decide, <laughs> I divide the why into two parts. The first is the why of retrospect. This is a why that looks to the past for the causes of why this or that happened to you, to me. Second is the why of prospect. This is the why of forecast. This looks to the future. What is the purpose of this thing that happened? What good can come from this? What can I learn and how can I grow from this? The cause, and I want you to remember this, the cause is always in the past. The purpose is always in the future. And the problem with so many people is that they spend all their time dealing with the cause and they can't get over the hurt feelings, the disappointments, the, the, uh, the husband that ran away or the wife that left the husband with the three kids or the child who was disappointing. So they can't get over the hurt feelings. So they can't begin to see what good that might come out of the situation because they can't let go of the hurt. The why of retrospect always traps us in the past. This was the initial problem with Job. You remember the story of Job who suffered, he lost everything, family, money, and so forth. His friends, his wife asked, how could such misfortune happen to a person who was so pious and who loved God as we know Job did? Job did. We know this from the, from the story in the Bible. They were looking to the past for the cause. Job, with the help of his friends, the, the, one of the comforters, finally turned to, why, to the why of prospect, looking to the future, and then his good unfolded. And how did he do it? First came the realization in Job that man has a God-given spirit that helps him in understanding the things that happen. And it helped him look for the purpose of the good and what had happened. Look at Job chapter 32, verse 8. Job chapter 32, and Job, you know, is right before Psalm. Job 32, 38. It says, but there is a spirit in man and the breath, which means the inspiration of the Almighty, that's God, gives him understanding. There's a spirit in us and the inspiration of the Father gives us understanding. So we can understand why these things happen. In the face of all that he had lost, which included his family and fortune, Job sought to find and value the good in the experience. 
Now, the German philosopher Goethe, G-O-E-T-H-E, says this, and it's a statement that we can take to heart. He says this, love of truth shows itself in this, that we seek to find and value the good in everything. That's everything. That's a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's the in-between things. What good is in this for me? And that good is usually prospective, something that comes in the future. The good that comes out of a challenging situation is the growth that happens in the person's life as a, as a result of a challenge. And you can see this even in the life of Jesus. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5 and look at verse 8. Hebrews 5, 8 tells us this. Though a son, referring to Jesus, yet he, Jesus, learned obedience by the things which he suffered. In other words, he learned from these things. Now, I want to point out something. It didn't say that he had to suffer in order to learn obedience. He, it simply said, it says, and it's very clear, that from the suffering, the things he suffered, he learned obedience. In other words, he chose to learn from the suffering. And to use a phrase that I use a lot, he chose to grow <coughs> through the experiences and not just go through them. And that's what we have to learn to do. We have to learn to grow through experiences. And this is why I say it's not how you go through things, it's how you grow through things. If you learn something, if you grow through them, then that bad experience is a profitable experience. <coughs> It's what they say about failure. Henry Ford says that a failure is not a failure if you learn something. And he said that each time he failed, it took him closer to the invention, the invention that he was seeking to uh, come up with. So if you learn something from the experience, it's not a failure. Not how you go through things, but how you grow through them. Now, the growth is a good which always points to the future. Now, the second thing we, we see from Job, and this is an important uh, point, is that he took the focus off himself. Everybody was bemoaning his fate and saying, you know, this is awful, you've lost everything. Your, your kids were, were killed, you lost all your money, you lost all your standing, and so forth. He took the focus off himself and turned to helping others. Uh, you were in Job a minute ago. Go to, to, towards the end of Job, which is Job chapter 42, verse 10. And this is an important point to reflect on. Job 42, verse 10 says this. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he, Job, prayed for his friends. Indeed, continuing, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. See, one way... For sure, to get the focus off yourself and what you think are your overwhelming problems and hurts and so forth is to get busy doing something to help other people. We also see in the Bible the real danger that comes from looking backwards. And let's consider the story of Lot's wife. You've heard of Lot's wife. And this is from the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. And we all know, well, let me, let me back up. You know, all of the moving about that Lot and his wife did and, you know, Abraham, they separated and so forth. Lot and his family settled in the 
uh, city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we all know the story of the wickedness and depravity that engulfed the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot had settled. And we know that God destroyed the city. On the eve of the destruction, Lot was given a warning by angels. These are angels who had come to visit him in the city. If you read the story, all of this is, by the way, in, in chapter 19 of Genesis. That whole, this whole story is in, in, in chapter 19 of Genesis. The angels had come to visit with him. And so the angels urged him to leave with his family before God brought about the city's destruction. So we see this in Genesis 19, 17. Turn to Genesis chapter 19. Look at verse 17. Here at uh, Genesis 19, 17, 17, 19, 17 says this. And there's our little phrase there. What's the first phrase there? So it came to pass. When the angels, when they, it says when they, they mean the angels, had brought them, them being Lot and his family, outside of the city, it's outside of the city of Sodom and Gabor, that he said, escape for your life. And the next point is very important. It says, do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plains. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. And I always like to think of the mountains as moving to higher ground. They were saying, move to higher ground so you won't be destroyed. Now, you're in Genesis 19, uh, turn to verse 24. 24 reads as follows. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. Everything was destroyed. Lot and his family had been urged to run for their life and seek higher ground. And by the way, when you're facing something, that's a challenge to you to seek higher ground. Now, the higher ground is in the word of God, the things that God promises you. He'll keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on him. Seek first the kingdom. There are a whole number of things that we have talked about uh, this past year and years before. So it says, seek higher ground and not look back. However, we see this recorded in Genesis 19:27. You're right there. Look at verse 27. It says, but his wife, that's Lot's wife, looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now, let me say a little bit about this looking back. Where Lot's wife becomes frozen in time as a pillar of salt of salt. It's very revealing. Lot's wife turned back and watched the flaming sulfur fall from the sky, consuming everything that she knew and valued, everything that she knew. This fixation on the past then consumed her. She got engulfed in her fixation on the past. And she became a crystallized pillar fixed forever in her past, but consumed and destroyed with that past. Now, this experience of Lot's wife shows us that you cannot look forward. You cannot focus forward on the positive future that is promised you, and it's promised to you by God, by the way, if your gaze and vision are fixed on a destructive past. Now, the angel said, said, don't look back. Keep moving forward. Now, as we enter the year of 2018, and cast our vision on a positive future, let's remember the experience of Lot's wife. She lost her family, 
and she lost the ability to impact their hopeful future because of her inability to let go of the past. So, a key point of the message today is that as we start the new year, you've got to let go of the negatives of the past and even some of those things that you consider good. Uh, Lot's wife considered the past pretty good because that's where her home was, that's where her possessions were, and so forth. Remember, they were fleeing with just the clothes on their back at that point. Now, uh, recalling the story of Lot, the Bible specifically tells us in these words, remember Lot's wife. That's actually a scripture. I'm going to take you to it. it go to Luke, Gospel chapter 17. Luke's Gospel chapter 17. And we're going to read verses 29 through 32. Are you there? Okay, we see Jesus retelling and giving the following account of Lot. And he relates it to the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Verse 29. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it, it didn't destroy Lot, by the way. It destroyed the, the, uh, all of the people in, in the city. Lot and the other members of his family had daughters. They had escaped. They were running ahead of the wife. The wife was uh, <coughs> running behind. <coughs> when you understand the story. Excuse me again. Verse 30. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. 31. In that day, he who was on the housetop and his goods are in the house, like Lot's wife's goods were behind her, let him not come down to take them away, to try to take his goods away. And likewise, the one who was in the field, let him not turn back. And verse 32, remember Lot's wife. In other words, when the promise of good is set <coughs> before you, <coughs> don't turn back and cling to anything that's behind you because your good is in front of you. It's in the future. Now, we may not all, we may not all agree exactly on the meaning of the day when the Son of Man is revealed. That's a whole message in and of itself. But it could be, for example, talking about uh, uh, the second coming of Christ or when Jesus Christ is revealed and so forth. Whatever you land on in terms of what your interpretation is, and, and maybe I'll come back to this sometime uh, this year, you know it's going to be a momentous and life-changing event for you. So you don't want to cling to any of the baggage from the past. You want to reach toward what's being presented to you for the future. For us who are believers, whenever the day when the Son of Man is revealed, it'll be a life-changing event for us. And it's certainly not a time to look back and cling to anything from the past or try to hold on to any material thing from the past. Now, the year 2018 can hold for each of you, and it does, tremendous dynamic good. How do I know this? It's because the dynamics of God's universe, which are all good, flow in a positive forward direction. Forward direction, not backwards, forward. Your good is not behind you, <coughs> it's ahead. 
but you must focus forward on this good, leaving behind the negative experience and any hurtful or disappointments of 2017. God only has good for us. You remember all good, precious gifts come from above? He only has good for us. You must focus forward on this good, leaving behind, as I said, the negative experience and any hurtful disappointments of 2017. Remember what he tells us in Jeremiah 29, chapter 29. This is a good one to know. He's telling you what he thinks for you. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Mark it down or go there or they can flash it. I don't know if they can flash it on the screen. They may not. Oh, there it is right now. This is a good scripture to know. It says, for I know, this is God speaking, by the way. He says, for I, God, know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, I like the New International Version rendition of Jeremiah 29, 11, And it reads this way. It says, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the NIV. I don't know if you have the NIV back there, New International Version. But if you don't, I'm going to read it here. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, let me remind you of this. We, you, I, we do not have the ability that the Roman God Janus had to look toward the past and the future at the same time. So you can't focus on the positive future that God has for you if you focus is fixed on the past. So focus forward. Focus forward on your positive future that 2018 definitely holds for you. Now, let me point to something else about challenges and tests that we all face. And I want to remind you as we reflect on this, something I said just a little while ago, and that is this. The cause of the challenge or the test or the trial is in the past. That's a why of retrospect. But the purpose, the good that can come out of it, is in the future. Cause in the past, purpose of good in the future. That's why the prospect which looks to the future looks for the good in the situation. Now, let me give you an example from the Bible, which you all know, and it is the story of Joseph. This is also in Genesis. There's so much. You heard me say this last year. There's so much in the book of Genesis that you can learn so much from the first book in the Bible. Here's another story from Genesis, story of Joseph. And you all know this story. You've heard it because I use it to illustrate at least a half dozen different, different things. Story of Joseph starts in you don't have to go. This starts in chapter 37 in Genesis. You can mark this down so you can go back and read it for yourself. In, in chapter 37, at the age of 17, you remember Joseph's jealous brothers. Well, let me back up and tell you. Joseph was the favorite son of his father, Jacob. He had Joseph in his old age. So he was the son of his old age. That was his favorite. You remember he made the tunic or the coat of many colors and so forth. And you might have seen the play, Andrew Lloyd Webber's. Amazing Joseph in the amazing Technicolor coat. It's based on this. The, the brothers were jealous of the affection and attention that the father uh, uh, played to, uh, paid to, uh, to Jacob. There were 10 other brothers. And so the older brothers decided they were going to get rid of him. First of all, they were going to kill him. 
And then they said, no, that's, that's, too, that's too much. Let's, let's throw him into this pit. So they threw him in a pit where he probably ultimately would have been killed because an animal would have come, a wild animal would have come and got him. And they said, wait a minute, no, we can make money out of this situation. So they decided to sell him into slavery. So a traveling band was coming through and they sold Joseph to the merchants that were traveling by. And Joseph ended up in Egypt. 17-year-old boy ended up in Egypt. He ended up in the household of a man by the name of Potiphar. And Potiphar happened to be the captain of the guard in Pharaoh's army. So he was pretty high up in rank. Joseph ended up in this household as a slave servant. But if you read the story, it'll always say, and God was with Joseph. So God was with Joseph. So Joseph rose to high rank and favor in, in Potiphar's eyes. And Potiphar made him or put him in charge of his entire household. He had charge of everything. You know, who did what, who did that, how monies were spent, and so forth. So he was in charge. But there's always a negative lurking around. There was Mrs. Potiphar, <laughs> the cougar of her day. She fixed an eye on this young, handsome, young man, Joseph, and decided that she wanted him to sleep with her. So she would constantly tell him, come sleep with me, come sleep with me. So one day, uh, uh, she was in the house, Joseph was in the house, and she grabbed him in his garment and said, sleep with me. And, and Joseph fled in terror out of the house, but the garment unwrapped around him and she had the garment in her hands. So she used this evidence to tell her husband and others that he tried to attack her and so forth. So you know the story, uh, Potiphar had him put in jail. He was thrown in jail. But I want you to look at this one scripture. Uh, I, I'm not telling the story from scripture. I'm just giving it to you off the top of my head. But in Genesis 39, you need to see this. Genesis 39. And look at verse 9. Listen to what Joseph said in rejecting her overtures. He said, how can I do this great wickedness this wickedness and sin against God. Now notice he didn't say sin against my master or Potiphar, he said sin against God. He had the highest, highest of standards in terms of his relationship with God. Now the wife falsely accuses him and Joseph ends up in jail. Now while in jail, let me move this story up because I won't get through the rest of everything. Uh, while he was in jail, he came into the company of the butler and the baker from Potiphar's house who had also been thrown into jail was something that they had done, the butler and the baker. Now, the butler and the baker told uh, uh, Joseph of this dream that they had, and they didn't know what it meant. So Joseph interpreted the dream for them, and in the dream, Joseph was able to point out to them that this dream means that you two are going to be restored back into Potiphar, to, uh, the Pharaoh's service. You're going to go back into his household and, and get your old jobs back. And so later this actually happened. And Joseph had said to the two, now remember when you get back into your position, remember me, put in a good word for me to Pharaoh so he can help me get out of this horrible place and so forth. But they didn't do this. As soon as they got restored, they forgot about Joseph. Later, Pharaoh had a dream. And you know this part of the story. He had a dream. And he called all of his uh, uh, the people who had the ability to interpret dreams in, in his realm 
to come and try to interpret the dream. No one could. So the butler remembered that Joseph could interpret dreams, and he told uh, Pharaoh about this. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. Joseph interpreted the dream, and the dream foretold of a great famine that was going to hit the whole world in Egypt and told what had to be done in preparation for the famine. So there were years before the famine actually hit. So Joseph was put in charge by, by uh, Pharaoh of preparing for the famine. And you know, he grew grain like mad, stored up <coughs> tons of grain for years, and then the famine hit. And the whole country was, the whole country, the whole world was destitute. So people came from all around to seek food from Joseph in Egypt, because Joseph was in charge of dispensing that. What had happened is that Pharaoh had made him what is tantamount to the prime minister of Egypt. Now keep in mind, this is this young Jewish lad who ends up being the prime minister of Egypt. So. Now, people from all over the world came to seek uh, help and to buy grain in Egypt, and Joseph was in charge of this. And so, Joseph's 10 brothers traveled to Egypt to do the same thing because they were starving uh, in, in, in their country. Now, to cut the story short, when the brothers came before Joseph, and there were several things that happened before this, they were in fear of what Joseph might do to them. But listen to what is recorded near the end of Genesis. Turn to chapter 50, you're at 39, turn to chapter 50 in Genesis, and you're gonna look at uh, Verses 18 through 20. At 18 it says, Then his brothers, Joseph's brothers, also went and fell down before him, uh, before his face, Joseph's face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And they thought he was going to have them killed. 19, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. And he asked this question, For am I in the place of God? And others he was saying, Am I now in the place of God where I judge you and condemn you and, and even kill you? He asked the question. 20, this is what's key here. 20, but as for you, brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. And they saved countless people alive all across the country because they were the only ones that had grain and food. So in verse 20, Joseph says, you meant evil against me. The evil of the brothers is what caused them to sell Joseph in the slavery. That was the cause in the past of him coming and being brought to Egypt. If Joseph had spent all of his days after they had done this dwelling on the fact that I don't understand why my brothers did this. I didn't deserve this. Uh, and he could have done what a lot of people would have said. He could have said my, at 17 he would have said my life is over. In fact I might as well take my life. There's no future for me. He was a dutiful, dutiful son of God. And he stuck with God. And the scriptures say, and God was with Joseph. So he was able to get past the cause and get to the purpose. The purpose, as he says, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day, this is verse 20, to save many people alive. I would add, it includes his family. Cause in the past, purpose in the future. Now, have Joseph 
not been able to get past the cause, he may not have ever gotten to the purpose and so forth. Remember, the cause is in the past, the purpose is in the future. And the issue with so many of us is that, like Lot's wife, we can't get past the cause. We're clinging to the past. We're clinging to the hurt feelings. We're clinging to you know, the fact that uh, you know, they fired you. You're clinging to the fact that the, the kids ran away, got into drugs, got into trouble. The husband ran away and so forth. The wife abandoned you. You can't let go of that. If you, you can't let go of this, then you cannot get to the good that can come out of the situation and so forth. And that's what I want you to leave you with on this first Sunday of January. Letting go of bitterness against the boss that fired you. And yes, let go of the animosity toward the person in church who spoke to you rudely or otherwise hurt your feeling. And it does happen in some churches. Never happens here. None of these things matter. Nothing matters. Nothing matters. Nothing. What they said, what they implied, it's not important. Compared to the glory of the things God has prepared for you from the foundation of the world. None of these things matter. When you hold on to the hurts and disappointments from the past, you help block the flow of good that is headed your way. The good from God is always flowing, but the bitterness and lack of faith in the certainty of this good can take us out of the flow and have it pass right by us. See, the good is always flowing, but you can take yourself out of the flow and it passes you right by and it goes on to uh, whoever is next. Now, I know of no one in the Bible who states this struggle between past and future better than uh, Apostle Paul. And you know this scripture. Turn to Philippians, and this is what you, you need to see. Philippians 3.13. Philippians 3.13. Here Paul writes in verse 13, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. And, and all that, that means it, 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 that I know everything, that I've arrived, that I have gained all of the spiritual insight that is possible and so forth. But he says, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, forgetting those things which are behind. Therefore, Now, in this first week of January, let's make a New Year's resolution <coughs> to let go of those things which are behind and press forward toward the riches of God in Christ Jesus, which he has already prepared for us. Now, what else can we learn from the mythological god Janus, who is the two faces of January. As, as I said earlier, Janus was the god of motion and movement, who oversaw all transitions, such as the transition from last year, 2017, to uh, this year, 2018. Transition signals motion, movement. You are moving from one point to another, from one stage to another. But the, but the key phrase is moving. What you can take away from Janus this January is that you need to get in motion and do something and start this doing right now, this day, this month. Don't procrastinate. Don't put it off and so forth. Procrastination is that great thief of time. It's the, described as the art of keeping up with yesterday. No, you want to move forward, so forth. Uh, 
Now we can get a sense of our need to get emotion from Janus, from whom we get the name January. This is true even though Janus is a Roman mythological god. But did you know that our living God, the Father of, Lord, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is the real God of motion? Now, you've heard me say this before, and I like to say this when it's appropriate. Our God is, a, is motion sensitive. God is motion sensitive. Now, when, when, when your lamp or the light in your room is motion sensitive, what does that mean? It means that when you move, the light comes on. Anything that's motion sensitive reacts to movement. That's what God, God is motion sensitive. He reacts to our movement. You move, he moves. And so if God is not moving towards you, <laughs> guess what? It's because you're not moving towards him. Now look at uh, James, James chapter four, verse eight. James is the at the end in Revelations, it's James, Peter, and John at the very end, right before Revelation. Look at what James says in uh, 4 8, James 4 8, chapter 4, verse 8. Are you there? Or it may be up there on the board. Or there it is. It says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. In other words, move near to God, and he will move near to you. Now, how do you draw near to God? How do you move near to God? You draw near to God by drawing near to his word. And you have that word right in your hand in the book or in your device. You have it right there. And you can draw near to this word anytime, not just when you come to Bible study on Thursday or noonday on Tuesday or on Sunday. You draw near. In other words, you study to learn the word, understand the word, and apply his word Amen. in faith. This is drawing near to God. Now, in addition, in addition to being motion sensitive, I want to use terminology from the current techie age. I've also pointed out that the things and the promises of God are voice activated. Same thing. You can walk into the room and tell, sorry, you know, turn on the light, order me some pizza from Ray's Pizza and so forth. Voice activated. Voice activated. The things and promises of God are voice activated. You have to speak them. They're activated just like your Amazon Echo device, which responds to your voice when it says, order me this book from Amazon or whatever you want. Now, you see this voice activation in terms of what we say clearly illustrated in a scripture that you all know and turn to the scripture right now. That's Mark eleven twenty three. Mark eleven twenty three. 23. You're there? This is Jesus speaking. He says, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. How many times do you see say or says there? Count them up. Four times. He only mentions doubt and belief once. So it's more important what you say. You have to say it. And I did a whole series of messages on the importance of speaking and imitating God who spoke the world and everything in it into existence by speaking it. Nothing happened until he spoke it so forth. You have to speak it. And you need to know in the word what to speak. 
you know? Now, you can't just make up something and say, okay, God, give me the Empire State Building. <laughs> no, it has to be consistent with the Word of God and so forth. Now, the Word of God says, for example, and Ella Iva went over this when she was doing the healing, by his stripes I am healed. God, give me my healing. You've been promised that and so forth and so on. Uh, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God, I need money to pay this mortgage in this car note. You're entitled to that. You, you can speak that. You can actually demand it, so forth. But you have to speak it. Amen. Now, we always stress the importance and imperative and the imperative of faith in teaching here at CCC. We know that you have to do all these things in faith. And we know that we walk by faith and not by sight. But we also know that the just shall live by his faith. And we also point out that faith is an act and that you have to add motion to your faith. We're told this twice in the epistle of James. You're, you're in James a minute ago. Go back to James. And look at what, what we're told in James chapter 2, verses 17. James 2, 17. Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, in other words, motion, you are doing something, is dead. And just go to verse 26 right there in James chapter 2. Verse 26 is just repeating this. For as a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. You know? So it's important to know that faith is an act. It involves acting on what you believe. You have to on. In other words, if, if the word declares that by his stripes you're healed, then you have to do something to act and show that you believe that. In other words, if, if you know, the other day I couldn't lift this arm up, but I said, you know, by his stripes I'm healed. So what you do is you, I lifted it up a little bit, and then a little bit, and then a little bit, and then I can go all the way up here. You have to do something. You have to do something, and so forth. Now, as an example of the things of God that we have faith in, turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, actually that's right after James. You're in James, just turn over to, to Peter. 2 Peter, uh, chapter one, and we're gonna look at verses three and four. This is one that we used throughout last year. It says, as his, that's God's divine power, looking, reading at verse three, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things, that's everything. What's left out of all? All things. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Four, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world. Now, to receive these great and precious promises requires action on our part. We must receive them, as I said earlier, by faith. And we know from Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Guess what you're doing right now, here this morning? You're hearing the word of God so you can develop faith for what's being taught and so forth, so on. Uh, if you don't know that you're entitled to divine healing, if it's not, it hasn't been taught to you, you don't know this. You think you have to just suffer. No, that's one of, <coughs> healing is one of your 
salvation benefits, and so forth and so on. And we teach all of this here. Uh -huh. <clears throat> so you have to take action and get to a place like Crenshaw Christian Center and other ministries that teach the word and hear about the promises of God for which to develop that faith for. Again, you have to study, learn, understand, and apply what you learn in the word. And that's what those of us who stand as teachers do. We help you to study, to learn, and understand uh, the word. The applying has to be done for you. We can't apply the word for you. You have to do the application. So, and you begin the process of rec receiving the things of God by doing what the word tells us in Matthew 6.33. Very familiar scripture, Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first, motion, action. <coughs> if you do that, all these things will be added. Seek is an action. Seek his kingdom and these things will be added. Now, in so many ways, the believer is told to get in motion. Let me give you a few examples from the word and I'll just take a, a couple of minutes, guys, uh, that tell you to get in motion. Luke 10.37. At Luke 10.37, you can mark it down, Luke 10.37, this is at the end of a story of the Good Samaritan, the one who came to the aid of the person who had been injured. So in Luke 37, Jesus says, go and do likewise. You need to go and do. Go and do. And Matthew 11.28, Matthew 11.28, mark it down. Jesus says, come to me or come unto me, all you who labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. A lot of times when you hear the scripture, you hear it says, come unto me, all you who are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. And people leave out the labor part. You've got to labor first. Labor comes before rest. That's motion, that's action. Now, in the very first psalm, we see how the person who studies God's word, as we're urging you to do, diligently, and who meditates on the word day and night, is rewarded. Look at Psalm, the very first Psalm. Look at Psalm uh, 1, uh, uh, verse 3. Look what it says in verse 3. After telling that the person who delights in the word and meditates it on day and night, it says this. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf shall also not weather, and whatever he does shall prosper. Not whatever he waits to happen or to come to him, whatever he does. It's another way of saying whatever he sets his hand to will prosper. We see motion and action in the study and meditation. That's action right there. And you certainly must take place. And of course, the prospering comes in whatever he does. You've got to do something. Set your hands to something. Now, couple more scriptures and we'll bring this to an end. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says this, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. This is one way of saying that we help to carry out God's work because here on earth, God has no other hands but our hands, no other feet but our feet, no other voice but our voice. You've heard that a lot of times and so forth. We he does it through us and so forth. It also echoes what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Second, you can mark this down, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 
as our president would say, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, which says this, we then are workers together with him. We're workers together with him. We work, he works with us, and vice versa, and so forth. So, in addition to all of these things that we talk about that you need to do in terms of the word, let me give you a list of things that you might consider doing, and I'm going to close with this. Uh, and uh, beginning this month of this year, begin to write that book that you always wanted to write. Go back to school and enroll in a class where you learn a new subject. Finish school. A lot of people drop out second year, third year. Go back and finish college if you uh, have a desire to do this. Take that correspondence course in Bible studies or enroll in Bible school if you have the time and resource where you really want to learn the word. Start learning a new language like Spanish that is useful in this city and where you work today. Go on that trip or cruise you always wanted to take. Give away that piece of jewelry to one of your daughters who loves it so much. Paint a picture. Volunteer to tutor some young people. Volunteer in a neighborhood food kitchen for the poor. Men become a big brother to a youngster. 11, apply for that new position at work that has opened up. Don't hold back and say, you know what? I don't think I can get that. No, apply for it. Seek <laughs> and you shall find. Ask and it shall be given to you. And resolve this, this is one of my favorites, that you're not too old or too young to do what you want to do. Call that relative you haven't spoken to in years. And, and, and don't act like that we don't have relatives that we haven't spoken to in years. Resolve, I've talked to some of the nicest people and when I really get to know them and they, well I'm estranged from my brother. I'm estranged from my father. How can you be estranged from your father and mother? I'm, and I'm, I, I asked it, but I know there are a lot of things that happen and so forth and so forth. But give them a call. Resolve that you're going to study the word, this is important, and find out for yourself what are God's great and precious promises that he has set aside for you from the foundation of the world. And 15, resolve that you're going to set aside a quiet time each day. It could be 15 minutes, a half hour, where you're going to study, reflect, and meditate on the word of God. This will help you tremendously. So as we launch out this new year, let's remember that we're not like the God Janus with two faces. We cannot look at the past and toward the future at the same time. If we try to do both, the stronger pull will always be to the past because the past is what we really know. But I like to remind people, that's why they call it the past. It's in the past. Let it go. It has come to pass. That was a problem with Lot's wife. She couldn't let go of the past and so on. So if you start the year with too much focus on the past, you may become frozen and paralyzed in time, just like Lot's wife. Remember, the cause of the challenge or problem or difficulty was in the past. The purpose, the good that can come out of it is in the future. So resolve this day that you're going to move and focus forward on the good God has for your life in 2018. And remember, again, the words of Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.13. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.